Welcome to Consecrated, a podcast created to uplift the beauty and individuality of the religious vocation and that of the service of the different religious orders. Through interviews with religious brothers, fathers, and sisters, may we encounter the true light that penetrates true consecrated life. Okay, so welcome everybody to my first consecrated podcast episode. We have with us today Sister Miriam Esther from the Passionist Nuns. So let's start with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace. the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we have Sister Miriam Esther from the Passionist nuns. Now, how long have you been with the Passionists? I've been about five and a half years. It's hard to believe. That's great. And do you have any fun facts you'd like to share about yourself? Hmm. Well, I was homeschooled for most of my life. Go homeschoolers. That's awesome. I'm homeschooled too. So that's great. I guessed when you were going to do a recording on a Tuesday morning, I'm like, I bet she's homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes. Hey. Um, yeah. That's great. So what is the passionist charism? Oh, it's beautiful. Well, as you might suspect from the name of our order, it has to do with the passion of Christ. So our motto is, may the passion of Jesus Christ be ever in our hearts. And our founder, St. Paul of the Cross, prayed. He had a conviction that if the world would only remember that God loved us enough to suffer and die for us, that all of the problems of the world could be solved. And so our special charism as passionists is to promote devotion to and grateful remembrance of the passion of Christ. Both as contemplative nuns, we do it mainly by means of prayer, but there are also active passionist fathers and brothers who do it through the ministry of preaching. That is beautiful. Okay, so why were you, so you kind of explained kind of why you were established, but kind of when and where? Was that, was your order established? Yes. So the Passionist Congregation was established in Italy in the 18th century. Um, the Passionist Fathers traced their foundation to 1721 when St. Paul of the Cross, our holy founder, uh, he went on a 40-day retreat that was where he received the founding inspirations for our charism and just wrote the first rule. So the Passionist Fathers and by extension, all Passionists trace our origins to there. But the Passionist nuns didn't actually come about until 1771. They were always kind of in St. Paul of the Cross's mind and wanting to have a community for women as well. But it was there were a lot of legal challenges, canon law, trying to figure things out. And so he actually was never able to visit the nuns in person. But he directed our first superior, Mother Mary Crucified of Jesus, uh, by letter for and also in person for many years before that. Is, that is awesome. So what is it what is it like to be cloistered? It's people think it would feel confining, but it really doesn't. It's it's a beautiful experience of being in the heart of the church. So 
often contemplatives are called the heart of the church. And the reason we have the cloister is to protect our function as the heart, sort of like your rib cage protects your heart and your body. The cloister protects our life of prayer. It's not meant to imprison the nuns, but it's meant to protect us from some of the influences in the world that could dissipate our life of prayer, which is our primary mission and vocation of the church. Okay, so with that, is your convent like kind of back out in like a secluded area? Is it in more of a busy part of town? Like kind of where is where are you situated to kind of help carry that kind of quietness out? Yes. So actually our monastery used to be in downtown Owensboro, but in the 90s, the sisters just felt that they needed more of an atmosphere of quiet and solitude and prayer. And so after a lot of prayer and discernment, they moved out here to Whitesville, which is about 20 minutes outside of Owensboro, Kentucky. We're in the middle of just farmland and Whitesville is a wonderful tiny town and everybody knows everybody and everybody's related to everybody. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I've oh, been out there. It's beautiful out there. Your grounds are absolutely beautiful. Oh, wonderful. Where do you live? Um, I live Southern Indiana, so. Okay, excellent. We have several sisters from Southern Indiana. That's great. Um, yes. So what does your daily prayer life kind of look like with that beautiful passionist charism? Yes, so we have around six hours of prayer per day, give or take. Um, and it's all different kinds of prayer. Uh, first of all, we talk about our liturgical prayer, so liturgy of the hours, and that would be our um, the morning prayer, evening prayer. It's just meant to sanctify the whole course of the day. Each um, part of the liturgy is called an hour. It's not actually an hour long, but that's just what we call them, and we also have, of course, Holy Mass every day. We have two hours of private personal prayer, so in the morning and in the evening, and we also have time for personal devotions like the rosary or stations of the cross and so forth. And as passionists, of course, our prayer especially focuses on the passion of Jesus and his, his love for us in that great mystery. That is beautiful. I love that you not only take time to pray as a community within that, um, that the beauty of the religious community, but also recognize that everybody needs their own personal time to be with Jesus and that's that's just beautiful yes it's kind of like a couple that never has their own you know you might be married and have kids but you still need your own private time together yes yes so what does a typical day look like for your order as a whole well um, the Pesha's congregation around the world, I can't speak for every monastery, but I can speak for ours, which is kind of typical. There will be little variations, but the, the, main, um, the main outline is the same. Yeah. So we get up very early in the morning. Um, our community rises at 4.30, and then we have office of readings at 4.45, and usually we're sort of awake by that point, but <laughs> you know, sometimes... You're not quite there yet, <laughs> but yeah. we have office of readings followed by our first hour of private prayer. Then we have morning prayer at 620 and mass at seven most days. 
After that, we have mid-morning prayer, and then we finally have breakfast, which is, you know, simple affair. We eat in silence. And then after that, depending on where a sister is in her formation, these sisters in novitiate, which is the first few stages of formation, they'll have class in the mornings about the vows, about our charism, about religious life. And professed sisters like myself will have a spiritual reading period. And so after that, which is uh, spiritual readings, 20 to 30 minutes, class periods are a little longer. Then we have our work responsibilities. Um, I have a lot of different work that I do. Let's see, I'm, I do a lot of work in the kitchen. I'm our assistant kitchen manager. And so I will write grocery lists. Uh, we have some lay people who help us with shopping. I also am cook sometimes. I organize, there are a few sisters with special dietary needs, so I take care of that. And I also do a lot of correspondence with our benefactors, just thanking them for their generosity to us. Um, I am in charge of our website. And so I have to check that every day and make sure nothing's acting up. People will usually email us very quickly if something's acting up and have to work on the innards of the website and our blog. Um, I also work in the library, which is, this is actually the library office here. And I enjoy that work, but it's not as big of a job as some of the other ones. And so after our work period at noon, we have midday prayer, which is just a short little being called back to the Lord to remember his presence. And after that, we have lunch. And during lunch, we also eat in silence, but we listen to a program in the refectory, which is our dining room. So we... We may be watching a video program or listening to an audio, or our sister might be reading from a book, depending. Um, right now, we're finishing up a course on Christology by Dr. Brant Petrie, who's one of our favorites. He is the best. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's it's really excellent. And we're we also watch the news a couple times a week and from EWTN News once a week. That's right. But um after that, after lunch and dishes, we have noon recreation, which is just 20, 30 minutes of just free time to enjoy each other's company, to talk. It's optional recreation, so if you have something to do, you can leave, but most sisters appreciate that time to just kind of relax. Then we have our hour of what we somewhat uncreatively call silence time, and that's basically, it's free time as long as you're not talking to anybody. <laughs> and so some sisters like to take a walk. I often like to read or I'll practice. I play classical guitar, so I like to practice that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, maybe take a little extra time for prayer, work on a puzzle, different things. And after that, uh, several days a week, we have mid-afternoon prayer, followed by the offerings of the precious blood, which is, that's both a prayer and a penance built into one. It's prayers that you recite with your arms extended for five minutes which if you've ever tried to do that, that's a bit of a workout, but it's an, a prayer offering the precious blood of Christ to the Father for the needs of the world. And so it's a beautiful way to join ourselves with Jesus on the cross. So after that, um, several times a week, we have a study period for 40 minutes or so. Uh, right now, for instance, uh, the professed sisters are doing a group study of our uh, rule and constitutions, which is kind of our rule of life. So we're taking a point every couple of weeks and just reading that and 
pondering it and studying the references to different church documents or to scripture or to the letters of our holy founder. And then we come together to share that occasionally. Um, so there's that, there's a little more work period. And then we have evening prayer at 445. We have Eucharistic adoration during that time. And then we have our second private hour of prayer. After that, we have supper and then evening recreation, which is a little longer than the noon recreation. It's about an hour or so. And it's, it is not optional. You have to be at recreation. We call it mandatory fun time. <laughs> of course, if you, for instance, if you're not feeling well, or if you have extra work, you can ask permission, but you have to ask yeah. permission to not come. After that, at, at the end of recreation, mother will read from a little book. We call it sentiments. It's just a little prayerful thought to end the day. Right now she's reading from um, let's see, Interior Freedom by Father Jacques Philippe. And after that, we go to night prayer at 8 p.m. And then uh, Great Silence begins at 8.45. So that's, you don't talk to someone unless there's an emergency. It's a time to be alone with the Lord. And lights out by 9.30, although I personally have to get to bed earlier than that if I want to have my eyes open at 4 30 the next morning yeah so that's kind of a typical day that's awesome I love how not only is there it's beautiful that there's time for prayer which is kind of your your core your prayer your your being with the Lord but there's also the the no, knowledge that you need time to like have fun and to be in community outside of that prayer to go out and and have joy yes and it overflows the one flows into the other it's not yes. unusual at all to hear sisters at recreation talking about you know some insight they had or what they're reading but it's yes. also we're also just silly sometimes like we were playing apples to apples the other night you know it's I forget it's I think it's been attributed to several different saints but the saying that a taut bowstring if you keep it taut all the time will eventually snap you need to relax occasionally yes yes so that's what kind of the normal day looks like is there anything that you do differently for like a cele a celebratory day or a feast day that is particular to yes. your order yes so it depends on kind of the level of the celebration. So for kind of an ordinary garden variety feast day, for instance, yesterday was the feast of St. Innocencio, Passionist Martyr. We will have a special meal at noon. We'll have, you know, a special dessert, kind of a nicer food. And then we have um, after silence time in the afternoon, we are free for recreation and we can just you know, enjoy each other's company all afternoon until evening prayer. So some of us are watching The Chosen. So we watched an episode of that and took a walk and yeah. Um, if it's a solemnity, uh, like a big holy day of obligation, for instance, um, there are of course the holy days of obligation of the whole church, like you know All Saints Day or Immaculate Conception and Assumption of Our Lady. But we also have some that are particular to us as passionists. For example, October 20th coming up is the solemnity of our holy founder, St. Paul of the Cross. And so that's a holy day for us. So on holy days, we have prayer mornings. 
So we'll have exposition of the Blessed Sacrament during the morning. We will sing mid-morning prayer in a special way. We might have some other special devotions like on Our Lady of Sorrows. That's our principal Marian feast. Uh, we have a ceremony where we formally entrust the keys and the seal of the monastery to Our Lady. Um, so we have the prayer morning and then we have a very special meal at noon and we have uh, recreation all afternoon. We don't even have silence time. I mean, you can, you know, take a nap if you need to, yeah. but it's free all afternoon. And then the most, uh, the highest level of the celebration day is what we call a Gaudiamus day, which means let us rejoice. And those are, we often do those for kind of holidays that aren't as much a church holiday. So it's not necessarily a prayer morning. So we do it for like 4th of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, those kind of things. And in honor of the Superior's Feast Day and things like that. Um, on those, it is, uh, Office of Readings is dispensed in the morning. So we get to sleep in a little bit until 5 a.m. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And then after mass, we say a prayer known as saluting the angels. That's our prayer to start recreation, asking the holy angels to be with us. And then it's recreation all day long. We have talking meals. We rearrange our refectory so we're all facing each other. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But it's really exhausting by the end of the day. And you're glad we don't do it every day. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. So how do you kind of, and what is the process of admittance into the community? And what's kind of the age span that you could be accepted? Yes, yeah, so um, our community, like uh, most, our age span is around 18 to 35. I mean, 18 is an absolute minimum. And uh, 35 is a little wiggly at the top, but it's mainly people often ask, you know, why don't you accept, you know, older vocations? And it's, it's an individual discernment. But what we found is that very often someone the the older you are when you enter it the harder it is to adapt because you've yeah you're you've kind of settled into your habits now there are some people that you know maybe 35 and they just you know entered the church a couple of years ago and that would be a good reason for considering someone at that age range but someone who's just you know hasn't wanted to commit their whole life that might be a sign that they might not be able to make the commitment to religious life so that's age range um, the process for entering, what we usually do is we have a vocation inquiry form on our website, and our vocation directress, Sister Cecilia Maria, will be in touch with the young woman. She'll often set up an initial phone call just to get to know her a little bit, and then if that goes well, uh, she'll usually invite her on one of our vocation retreats that we have three times a year, and that's just a weekend to spend at the monastery, just kind of, you know, learning about our life, experiencing our prayer, have low pressure getting to know it. There's no commitment yet at that point. Then a young woman who feels called to continue discerning with us will usually apply for a live-in visit. So that's eight to 10 days spent inside the cloister living with us full time just to experience the life firsthand. And if that go, what goes well, she may apply for what's called the aspirancy. And this is a one to two year program where she still lives in the world, but she started discerning exclusively with this community. And she, she lives in the world and either goes to school or works or whatever she's doing, but also comes for live-in visits at the monastery. 
And often towards the end of that time, she'll come for a longer visit of three months or so. And then after that, if she still feels the Lord is calling her forward, she and the community feel that, she will um, apply for the postulancy, which is when she officially enters the monastery to live full time, gets a fantastic jumper and a little short veil. Um, so right now we have two aspirants and three postulants. And yeah, did you want me to go into stages of formation as well? You can go with whatever you want to. <laughs> okay. So the postulancy is one to two years. At the end of that is vestition, which is receiving the holy habit. And the, uh, the novice wears a white veil instead of black, and she does not have the passion sign yet. She receives the black veil and passion sign at profession, which is after two years of novitiate. She makes temporary vows for three years. That's the stage I'm in right now. I made my first vows in October 2021. Um, and then after that, there's a renewal of one year at a time for two more years at least. And then if all continues to go well, the Lord is confirming the community, the sister, then she may make her final vows. But we actually have a sister who's making her final vows on December 8th. We're very excited for her. That's awesome. Yes. It's a... So it's a nine to 12 year journey, which sounds like a lot, but it's, I know for me personally, I needed every minute of it so far. It's, it's such a transformation. It's important because you need to really, it's not just something that you can just jump right into just because you feel like it. Yeah. It's something that really takes, it needs to take a good amount of time just so that you really make sure that this is the way you accept that Christ is calling you to live the rest of your life. And all right. those years are really important. They are. And there's a, um, especially coming out of society today, which is very noisy and a lot of influences that are not in favor of Christ. Even the most sheltered homeschooler, for instance, will have some of that influence and you need to, yeah, you need to just grow in the contemplative way of living and of learning and of loving, really. So it's, it's as much an interior transformation as it is learning how to walk in a habit and, you know, learning how to talk like a nun and so forth. Yes. So, so what are the vows that you take as a passionist? Yes, we actually, we have five vows. So our first vow is what we call our passion vow. It's the distinctive mark of our congregation. It is a vow to promote devotion to and grateful remembrance of the passion and death of Jesus and to express it in our style of life. So as, as nuns, we live that primarily in a contemplative way, but we also have correspondence and we have a small retreat house attached to our monastery. And that's one way that we from the beginning of the foundation of the Passionist Nuns, St. Paul of the Cross wanted us to be able to receive retreatants because he felt that that was important to draw people to the foot of the cross with us. He had a lot of trouble with canon law at the time because there weren't any allowances for how does that work with a cloistered monastery? You can't be cloistered and have a retreat house. So he was sort of a trailblazer in that way. Um, so that's our first vow. Then we take the evangelical counsels of chastity, poverty, and obedience. And finally, we take a vow of enclosure, which is to remain on this property unless we have specific permission to go outside, for instance, for a doctor's appointment or something like that. 
and we've got a large property. So I, for one, have never felt stifled by the enclosure. We've got 170 acres and it's a joy. It's it's wonderful. So how and by whom is your religious name decided? Yes. So um, in our community, it will vary from community to community. But the way we do it is the superior is the one who chooses the name. And she will do it in different ways, depending on the superior and the individual sister. Sometimes she just has a light from on high and you just must be sister so-and-so. And, you know, the sister finds out eventually, you know, is told. Uh, more often, it'll be a process of dialogue with the postulant who's going to receive the habit. That's when we receive our name. Um, she'll often ask us to submit three names, but she may not necessarily choose one of those. Like my own name, uh, Miriam Esther, was not one of the names I submitted, but mother shared with me that she just felt very strongly about the name Esther, because I've often talked about how intercession has been such an important part of my vocation story. And Queen Esther is sort of the model of intercession in the Old Testament. She risks her life and goes before the king to plead for her people. And I know when I heard it, I was just like, that's it. I knew it. So and we all have a form of Mary. So for me, it's Miriam. It goes very well with the Jewish Esther. We also have a title. And that is more often the superior will normally give the title that a person requests. So mine is of the sacred heart. That is beautiful. That is one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to get to know about um, a religious order is how their name is given because being given a new name, it's, it's so relevant to the rest of, for like the old Testament. Like when you were given a new name, it signified you are now on a new journey. You have been called to something greater a new mission yes and then another one of my favorites what does your habit look like and what does each kind of piece signify yes okay I'll have to back up so you can see me a little better run into things okay so the main part of our habit is of course a black tunic and our habit was actually given by our lady to saint paul of the cross in a vision so she came to him clothed in this black tunic saying, Paul found a congregation that will sorrow with me over the death of my beloved son, Jesus. So the black is symbolic of mourning, mourning for the passion of Christ, and also of death, not in a morbid way, but of death to the world so we can rise with Christ. And we actually have a special prayer when we put on different parts of our habit, the belt, We pray that we may be bound to Christ who was bound with chains and ropes in his passion. Our rosary, we have a special passionist rosary, which has our sorrowful mother on the back of the crucifix. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's the crucifix. And three beads are for the three hours Our Lady stood at the foot of the cross. These five are for, let's see, I believe they're the five wounds. And these five are for, no, these are the five vows and these are the five wounds. And then we have a 10 decade rosary, which is the tradition, partly it's practical because a 15 or 20 decade rosary is a bit long to wear. Some orders do it, but we don't. (laughs) So the tradition is that the joyful and glorious mysteries are on our rosary and we live the sorrowful mysteries. 
then Pope John Paul II added the luminous mysteries and we had to kind of figure that out. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we live those in the liturgy. And then the most distinctive part of our habit is the passion sign. Let's pull it off and show a little closer. So it says, Jesu Christi Passio. That's Latin and Greek for Jesus Christ's passion. The white heart. St. Paul of the Cross received a division was to symbolize the purity of heart that must bear the holy name of Jesus written upon it. And of course, it's surmounted by a cross like the sacred heart of Jesus and the three nails to symbolize the passion. And the meaning of the passion sign is we wear it over our hearts to symbolize that we want the passion to remain always engraved on our hearts. And we also wear sandals. We're traditionally a discalced order, which does not mean barefoot, but means wearing sandals, technically. So I've got some Birkenstocks here. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. And what we does... Also, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. What does the veil, like, because I know oh, yes. most... Um, women's religious orders wear a veil on top over their hair. What does that signify? Yes, that signifies uh, being a bride of Christ. So like a bride will wear a veil and our consecration to him. I believe the ancient tradition is that Roman matrons would wear a black veil, symbolize that they were married. And perpetually professed sisters also wear a ring. I don't have one yet because I haven't made my final vows yet, but that's also to symbolize the spousal aspect of it. That is beautiful. We also have a mantle, which is like an awesome cape. <laughs> and we wear that for special liturgies. That's awesome. So um, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but a couple last couple things wrapping up. Do you have a community of lay persons associated with your order? Like yes, our monastery has a group of passionist oblates. They're men and women who make an active oblation and live in the spirit of the passionist charism in the world. And in fact, the passionist laity have have an important role in the congregation as a, as a whole. Okay. And is there, what are some special saints that you have associated with your order? And is there like a youth saint that you have associated with your order? Yeah, actually, most of our saints are young people. Um, of course, St. Paul of the Cross, our founder, he was, uh, he died older, but just one thing, he is not the same as St. John of the Cross, who is a Carmelite. They get mixed up all the time. St. Paul of the Cross is different. But yes, so he is our holy founder. Um, we have St. Gabriel Placenti. He's one of the patrons of Catholic youth. Uh, he was a seminarian, a passionist seminarian, when he died of tuberculosis. Um, we also have several other passionist seminarians who died of tuberculosis. We think it, there's like a pattern going on. <laughs> uh, most of them are blessed. Our, probably our most well-known passionist saint actually was never officially received into the passionist uh, congregation, and that is St. Gemma Galgani. She wanted to become a passionist nun, but because of her health and her extraordinary mystical experiences, she was a stigmatist. Um, the superiors didn't feel it would be wise to have her enter a cloistry community, but she very much felt a member of the passionist congregation. And actually her shrine now is a monastery of passionist nuns in Lucca, Italy. That's amazing. And also, 
Yeah, few people know that St. Maria Goretti is also considered a Passionist saint um, because she went to a Passionist parish and was formed by the Passionist priests, and they were the ones who promoted her cause for canonization after her martyrdom for purity. So wow. we get her too. That is so cool. In wrapping up, considering our national Eucharistic revival, is there something like how is the Eucharist a part of your daily living? And is there anything you guys are offering as part of the this national Eucharistic revival? Yes. So the Eucharist is, of course, the center of our lives. And it's the it is the memorial of Christ's passion. It's his passion made present to us. So as I mentioned in the little orarium, our daily schedule, we have Eucharistic adoration. We have it every evening and also all morning on Fridays and on some feast days. Um, we obviously celebrate mass and receive communion every day. We also have the tradition of spiritual communions coming from St. Paul of the Cross. We very much encourage that and of making visits to the Blessed Sacrament throughout the day. In fact, I was planning to make one after we finished our call um, just to be with Jesus and to console his heart. And uh, our community is actually holding monthly adoration services as part of the Eucharistic revival. We have one just last night, in fact. We invite local priests to, um, to celebrate Vespers with us with the Blessed Sacrament exposed, and they give a short homily, and we have time of adoration and benediction afterwards. We advertise them on our website. If you know anybody who wants to come who's in the area, you are all invited. <laughs> you can find it on upcoming events on our website. That is beautiful. And that website for all you listeners out there, that website will be posted in the show notes. If you would like to visit that website and whether make an inquiry or donate or just kind of dive in and kind of see a little bit more about this beautiful passionist community, that website will be in the show notes. So you can check it out there. Well, I know we're running out of time, but thank you so, so much, Sister Miriam Esther. It has been a joy to hear about your passionist charism and your daily life. It's been a joy to meet with you. And I wish everybody could see the beautiful smile on Sister Miriam Esther's face right now. <laughs> that is one of the highlights for me being with someone in a religious order they always seem to be smiling and it's always so beautiful and I love it <laughs> it's the joy of the Lord it is beautiful well thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day you too God bless you God thank you for joining us for today's episode be sure to share what you have found with others if you would like to donate or discover more about the featured religious order, check out the show notes for a link to their website. I hope that you will join us next time 